beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. You actually just did a, uh, what was it, at the the library, the Sleuth Adventure? Yeah, what so it, like, called, or? it's called the Junior Sleuth Academy. Mm-hmm. Like the, I've been doing the comic book shop every Saturday in October, but um, yeah. this was like on the Sunday last week, and it's like part writing workshop, part scavenger hunt. Like it's like you tell kids about like how to write a mystery, and then they actually have to solve a mystery. Are they... Are they good so they go around. Uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. It's funny because like I hit all these like they had to like find clues hidden in the library, mm-hmm. um, and they're all like in the basement. Yeah. And like uh, my favorite part is like the first thing that happens like this kid. I was like, you have to find these clues, and it's a big group, so it's hard to like keep track of all of them. So there are like forty kids like running around, and the one kid like runs like into this corner past like the clue and like picks up like this like trash that's in the corner and he's like is this a clue and it's just like garbage i think it was like a mouse trap uh package i was yeah. like no that's not a clue. <laughs> okay that's so not in. everybody's cut out to be a detective no no exactly you know what i mean they you should know? do those like personality tests for kids in school yeah. right you not a detective not, not maybe a detective. try accounting or yeah. something you can be the or garbage crim- man you can be the criminal yeah yeah that's true too it'll be easier for the detective to catch you mm-hmm First thing I ever saw from you, I had... Check this out. Remember this? Oh, man. Magnets from the Amazing Challengers of Unknown Mystery. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, they're like superheroes, but without the tights or the excitement. <laughs> <laughs> and they live in Waterloo. Yeah. That was a blast from the past. <laughs> it is. This is on my fridge. That's amazing. I have a couple other friends who still have it on their fridge. I was like, oh, so bizarre. To go look back and think about like, your comic... Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see, like, I feel like a lot of my interests are the same from then to now. Like, I kind of do local stuff, like, like kind of set it where I'm familiar with and, like, kind of doing stuff that's, like, both kind of, like, fantastical but also super mundane at the same time, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, they're, like, centaurs and, like, people have psychic powers, but mm-hmm. then they also have to, like, do laundry and, like, do, like, really boring <laughs> stuff as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you miss? I guess you're still doing a lot of drawing, and like that's part of your work or whatever. But you have you done like, and it's part of the books as well. Yeah. But have you sat down to actually write another graphic novel or? Because you had the post-apocalyptic. Yeah, like I've done comic. Like I, I really miss it. So like there was like before I did, um, there was Amazing Challengers, and then after that I did Quarter Life Crisis, which is about a post-apocalyptic Toronto. Um, and then I got into doing the kids' books, which are illustrated, like they're like like a Nancy Drew book or a Hardy Boys book, like every 15 pages. And I've done a lot of little comic stuff and illustration stuff for a bunch of different projects. So I'm still like drawing like all the time, but I haven't sat down to do like a comic or graphic novel in a while. And I have an idea that I've like been wanting to work on, but I and also wanting to continue the quarter life crisis, which I always joke at this point, it's more like midlife crisis, <laughs> like so much older than when the first one came out. But, uh, yeah, I really need to get back to it, and I'm hoping, like, over this winter I'll have more time um, to work on some actual comic book work. Is Quarter, quarter Life Crisis, you envisioned that as, like, a trilogy, or how did it... I actually envisioned it because I'm, like, super literal. I envisioned it as four parts, so each one would be a quarter. Oh, um, So the clever. idea is that there were four <laughs> books, and each of the four books um, was going to be about a different character. So, like, they'd have a different protagonist. So the first one was about the kind of two brothers who kind of get around on their own, and it follows their story. But the second book was going to be about a totally different character. And, like, they'd still be in the story, but uh, they wouldn't be the focus anymore. They'd be kind of background characters. And the second book was actually going to be about, like, one of the 
characters he's like kind of a villain in the first one like one of the sort of bad guys ostensibly and kind of follows her and you kind of see her like everything from her perspective like the story continues on forward chronologically but like from a totally different perspective that's cool so each of the four books was gonna be like from a different character's perspective Man, and you only got the one out i now. only got the one i know <laughs> i'm so slow with the drawing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy too because it's like um, after the, the Stephen King thing so when he got hit by a van mm-hmm. I was reading the um, the the what's it called the trilogy the Dark Tower trilogy oh yeah yeah oh, well it's turned out well, to be like more seven, now, yeah. yeah it was like <laughs> seven or eight books whatever but yeah. he got hit around book three or book four uh-huh. and so when he got hit by a van I was like oh no <laughs> there goes yeah how's the story <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't want the guy just the publisher find somebody you're like yeah. he had a couple of notes kicking around in his desk yeah. finish it right so thankfully he's okay and he finished the series mm-hmm. and whatever but yeah, even like when people were like Harry Potter was like all like on fire and everybody's you gotta read Harry Potter, you gotta read Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm waiting till all the books are out. I want to make sure it actually ends. Yeah. yeah, well that's what would happen with the comic too. Like I would, and it's it's with the books too. Like everyone's kind of like doesn't want to start it when there's just one, right? So you'd like go to comic conventions and they're like, oh, like they're like you're like oh it's a series and like but there's only one book so <laughs> and like even with the with the kids books it was like when there was one people were not now that there's three i think three is kind of like the critical master people are like oh i might start reading it because yeah. like now it's definitely a series it's not just like they tried to make a you're series not, and they're gonna give up us. yeah yeah um so this one like this is supposed to be seven in total i'm on contract to do seven of the books oh, okay. so it'll be seven books in total but i think at that three is when people start like okay i guess they're committed i guess they're actually putting these yeah, out yeah. on a somewhat regular schedule and then why did you choose to knowing like we because it's just established your comic book background why yeah. did you choose to like write words instead of yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean uh i think i've like always liked the writing part of comics and i think like working just doing like self-published comics for a long time i kind of felt like i was a bit more interested in the writing part than some of the other like guys and girls i was hanging out with who were doing comics like i like drawing too but i never thought that was my strength i always thought i was a little better at the writing or like that what I did in the writing made it a bit different from like other self-published comic and indie comic stuff. Um, so I love illustrating, but it's just like, maybe I'll just focus on the words and do something completely different. Like do like not the comic stuff I've been doing, but a totally different story and totally different kind of setup. Um, but I wanted to include drawing too. And there are parts like when I'm writing, I'm always like, Oh, I wish I could just draw this. Like I could draw this <laughs> and it would explain everything yeah. in like 10 minutes. And like, instead of like describing, describing, actions especially is the worst where you're like trying to describe a complex yeah. motion of a character or something like that you're like oh if i could just draw this it'd be so much you're easier i mean partly because i know you but also just the, the way it's narrated too. the books they're very i guess sarcastic is that kind of a way to yeah that's fair like you know I, what I mean yeah but it's not like a negative sarcasm it's just like yeah i think so like the books are set up so that there's actually like two narrators and one is like this sort of like non-person like just sort of like this third person narrator who knows everything and is kind of a know-it-all like they're kind of like yeah like you said good... they're like very sarcastic and i think that we've actually like toned it down like i remember the first like uh, the narrator was like kind of mean towards like october <laughs> and stuff and and still is like they're still like oh they just forget like they're like kind of poke fun at the characters and then there's october herself who is like less sarcastic but is still sarcastic because i guess i'm still writing this um so yeah I've, i tried to include that like it's like I guess I kind of took a lot of lead more from, like, Daniel Handler and Lemony Snicket mm-hmm. books rather than, like, J.K. Rowling. Like, I wanted to have, like, this kind of, like, ironic 
level on it where it's kind of like making fun and like kind of that's a better word maybe than a sarcasm irony yeah yeah there's a certain level of irony a certain level of like yeah knowingness of like oh this is kind of ridiculous to the whole thing but it's also fits with the the character like that it's that teenagery type tone yeah exactly and like october herself is supposed to be like she's goth she like kind of like feels at a distance to a lot most of her classmates and stuff like that so it makes sense that the narrator of the books too is similarly kind of like detached and like kind of sees everything as kind of amusing in that way yeah yeah and like i guess the other thing too is like there are a lot of references because like basically i don't understand the world without i think you're like this too like you don't understand the world without like a pop culture sort of uh ref or not like mirror to real life events so I just like would refer to it all the time, and when the first book came in, they were like, "Oh, um, kids aren't gonna understand." It's like you're clearly like twenty years older than the kids who <laughs> yes. are gonna read this book. Yeah, they don't know what you know. Um, they don't know who uh, Abba or who like or what the Friday the Thirteenth movies are or anything yeah. like that. And they're like, you're going to have to explain them or cut them out. And so I was like, well, what if I made like this glossary in the back that explains all that stuff? So that became like the compromise. And now it's like my favorite part of the book to write is like the glossary in the back where you explain in like two sentences, like what the Fast and the Furious movies are or like what, I don't know. Here, Here's one from the yeah. new book. It's as lo- uh, loyalist <laughs> to a fault. This is the new one. Yeah. And then you said... The pirate still glowing in the center of the library like a tile in Michael Jackson's video for Billie Jean. <laughs> Staggered back and grabbed at his sword handle. And then you go to 283 in your appendix here. Yeah, and you can look up what Billie Jean is yeah. for the kids who don't know. And where is it here? Where did it go? I just Oh, here it is. Billie Jean, one of Prince of Pop, Michael Jackson's greatest singles, is a song that basically mirrors a paternity test episode of the Maury Povich show. <laughs> There's references within references. Exactly, too. yeah. Now they have to go figure out what the Maury Povich is. This <laughs> is like homework. You're making yeah. the kids work. Like. During the music video, Jackson dances on a series of tiles that light up as he steps on them. That's yeah. amazing, yeah. Because like for me, like when I'm thinking of how the pirate is glowing, I'm seeing it as that music video because I used to watch music videos like nonstop as a mm-hmm. kid but I realized like a kid now like doesn't watch music videos or if they do they're not watching ones with Michael Jackson most likely yeah. right that'd be like me watching like I don't know videos of like Be-Jesus. James Brown when I was yeah. a kid which I'm sure I did every once in a while but not to the extent that I was watching stuff that was new yeah. so explain to me then just what what's young adult mean because that's kind of like what you're I guess your demographic of your genre of books. Yeah, is, right? well, actually, it's different. So this is had to be explained to me when I started writing. So I write actually for middle grade, which is nine to twelve year olds. Okay, I'd say it's the upper end of that. Like I usually tell parents who are like, oh, I have a kid that's nine. I'm like, mm, unless they're a really strong reader, like this might be too mm-hmm. complicated for them. So I'm like, eleven and twelve is kind of a safer bet. Um, but that's sort of the younger end, and then young adult is a bit older than that. And kind of the difference, like the kind of books that people know like Harry Potter is middle grade so Harry Potter is 9 to 12 and like Twilight is young adult and actually the literal only difference between them is sex like literally uh... yeah like whether the characters not necessarily that the characters are having it although I guess that's the case in Twilight but that they're even like thinking about it or if it's like something that they're interested in doing yeah exactly (laughs) then they're young adult because if you think about it it's the same like in the Harry Potter books by the end 
they're the same age as they are in Twilight, right? They're like they're graduating high school, which yeah. is the age of like kids in young adult books. But like no one in Harry Potter ever thinks about sex. Like they they kiss, I guess, and they like go to the dance, but they're never like, oh, like yeah, they're never like, oh, I hope I, I hope I lose my virginity on prom <laughs> night, right? But they are in young adult books, and that's kind of like literally the only difference. So my book, like when it was explained to me, I was like, they were like, oh, your book is not young adult; it's nine to twelve because the characters like don't they're in high school they're like first year high school but they don't think about sex at all so that's sort of the difference oh, okay yeah. i didn't know that that's what because harry potter is a good example where it was aimed at children yeah and then it, but it blew up and it crossed over to adults or yeah even like 20 like somethings and usually the thing is like they're all like if it's a middle grade or young adult it's always like characters that are younger than like a lot of books but it's also like younger and it's you're in their mindset and it's happening in the present because there are a lot of books that are like for adults that are from kids perspective right like they have like kid protagonists mm-hmm. and things like that but a lot of times they're looking back at the past they're looking back when they were a Wonder kid years. yeah exactly or they have like a kind of like an adult take on things whereas like young adult and middle grade it's like they're kids and they think like kids and they think in the present day it's not like them looking back like yeah oh now i think back to so that's kind of the other main difference but yeah i feel like nowadays especially just as many adults are reading young adult books as kids are right mm. and i think back when i was a kid i think it's different now but when i was a kid by the time i was like the age range that young adult is aimed for i was reading adult books right like yeah. i was like reading stephen king i was yeah. reading like Michael Crichton, I think, was, like, a huge, like, when I was, like, 12 <laughs> or 13, yeah. I was, like, Michael Crichton's everything. Yeah. Um, so I was reading adult books by that point and not, like, I would have no interest in young adult, really. The but. genre, it seems, I'm not I'm not an expert by any means, yeah, but it yeah. seems like after the success of Harry Potter and Twilight and some of those things. Yeah. Uh, Lemony Snicket was another one that kind of did well, too. Like, mm-hmm. those things, it seems like kind of the balloon and people were kind of writing more was when you and I were kids. It was just like, here's some Trixie Belden and here's some Hardy Boys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, they're not, like, I don't, like you're saying, like, young adult to that extent didn't exist. Like, there are books like Babysitter's Club, right? <laughs> and, like, Sweet Valley High, which is, oh, like, kind of right, yeah. similar. Or, like, ones I read were, like, I think they're even younger, but, like, um, Benicula. Like, those ones about, oh, like, yeah, the yeah. dog and cat solve, like, mysteries about yeah. vampire rabbits and... Yeah. Um, there was a guy named John Belairs who wrote, like, a series of mysteries. But, yeah, there wasn't, like, this sort of, like, young adult, at least not to the extent there was now. But you're right. It's, like, stuff like Harry Potter and and Twilight have, like, really kind of grown. And it's, like, an area of books that's actually growing, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of other sort of areas of publishing have not. Like, young adult is, like, blowing up. And then you know, it's like, oh, we can make money because, like, there are at least two major demographics that are interested in this, right? And as you said, too, like... It's when you can parcel it as a series, right? And yeah, it's hard yeah. for you to just kind of get the first one out the door. And say, it's a series, I promise. Yeah, trust me. Yeah, I'm working on the next one. Don't worry. <laughs> right? And it's and that's what people like because then they can just mm-hmm. like that's what, especially with Harry Potter and the Twilight, just follow the books. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the has the same appeal as like uh, television series, right? In, in a way that movies don't, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, if I enjoy this, there's like three more seasons of this, right? Yeah. Versus like, oh, that's I have no idea if there's ever going to be any more of that. And um, I think the thing is too the trick is something I didn't know is that most writers like usually have like a few in the can before they get the first one published so they have like a backlog they have like a kind of buffer so it's like I have three done when the first one comes out so I don't have to like madly rush to finish the next one 
which would have been smart. Like mystery writers do it all the time, which is how they put out like one a year, like one every half year. Yeah. Um, but I did not think ahead. I actually didn't wasn't sure that people would want one like publishers would want one beyond the first one when I finished. Really? Yeah, I kind of set it up as like it could be a series, but also it could just end that way because I wasn't sure that anyone wanted to keep doing it or that it would be moderately successful. So I guess just break it down. What was the initial pitch then when you went to a publisher? This was like Heart of Boys meets like Patrick Swayze's Ghost? <laughs> yeah. <how> you... <laughs> well, usually I don't think I ever used it as an elevator pitch, but my elevator pitch now when I just like meet people on the street or like at parties, I'm like, oh, it's like if Nancy Drew were goth and all her friends are dead is like basically the story because that's what it is um and also like there's a bit of like canadian history in there too or just like history in general so yeah when i pitched around like usually when you shop a book around you send out the whole manuscript but yeah in the cover letter i kind of pitched it that way it was mm-hmm. like yeah it's like a mystery series but you know they're ghosts and there's can get around undetected and stuff and it's supposed to be sort of funny and supposed to be learn a little bit about history um but a lot of people were not it's funny like especially i mean partially it was probably my writing was like i edited a bunch of times between when i first sent it out and when it got published so at first i'm sure the first version was like pretty crummy um but at the other and there are a lot of publishers who are not interested for a few things like one was like they didn't like all the canadian history which is weird when you think about canadian publishers like don't you want this but Especially kids publishers, a lot of how they make money is they get their money through selling foreign rights. And like literally no other oh, country yeah. in the world cares about Canadian history, right? It's so a like, pretty boring yeah. history. Right? Like, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. Bay and then that's pretty much, you know I mean? feel like it's interesting, but like literally like nobody cares. Like think about like I don't know, like what's a comparable country like you're not gonna read a book about like Swiss history here yeah, in Canada yeah. or something like that. So they were worried that they couldn't sell foreign rights to this book because there was so much like Canadian, so much CanCon. Yeah. Um, but then other people, the first book is a lot about the FLQ, which a lot of uh, people in Canada are still very like touchy about, right? Like they don't want to touch that subject because it's yeah, yeah. like there are a lot of hard feelings both ways about the FLQ. Were they like freedom fighters? Were they terrorists? Like how do we approach this subject? So, Angers up the blood. Right? Yeah. And so especially because in the first book, like one of the main characters, like a character who's like kind of like her like favorite teacher turns out to be, spoiler alert, like he was a youthful member of the FLQ, is like, oh, how do we treat this? Like if we're going to pretend that, not pretend, but if we're going to act as if the FLQ are bad guys, how do we treat this like ostensibly good guy when he used to be FLQ? And like, or are we saying something about the FLQ because he is mm-hmm. this like positive force? So a lot of publishers didn't like the sort of like moral ambiguity of that character as well because it was a kid's book, which I was like... I don't know. I felt it was unfair. Like, I like books with, and I feel like kids like just the, some moral ambiguity, right? Yeah. And just the fact that October is hanging out with quote unquote dead kids, too. Yeah. That I think is already like a little bit of a grayish area. It's a bit morbid, yeah. yeah. And I've done, like, because um, the first two books are up for some, like, nice library awards, which gets you invited to a lot of schools. And some of those schools are Catholic schools. So every once in a while, I'll get, like, a nice letter who was like from like one of the catholic school principals like oh it's very nice you said some very nice things about writing and reading it's like i feel like some of the content may have been inappropriate because it's all about like life after death and ghosts and like i guess the occult right which is still pretty taboo at catholic schools so yeah Mm. (laughs) was there all any influences from like you mentioned nancy drew is kind of your elevator pitch sort of yeah was there any influences from nancy drew hardy boys scooby-doo all the kind of stuff yeah i can see some of it for sure like nancy drew and the hardy boys definitely scooby-doo is like 
if you're doing any kind of mystery where they're like ghosts, like there's no way you can avoid Scooby-Doo yeah. at all. And I watched a lot of it growing up. Um, the other ones, like the other kind of two main ones are not books. Um, they're, they're, um, television. So like when I was thinking of the book, I was trying to combine two of my favorite shows. I want to combine, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Veronica Mars and like mash them into one oh, show. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's kind of like teen detective and like supernatural stuff yeah. and like kind of have like, and in both of them have kind of that same kind of ironic tone too. So it's kind of had strong female. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's like trying, those are kind of big influences as well. Cause they're both kind of like kind of funny, but kind of serious and yeah. So and a strong female. Actually, I just realized it's a strong female with a strange name. October is not a very common. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Right. And Veronica. <laughs> Veronica. Kinda, yeah, exactly. And Buffy. Yeah. Well, the October, that is a funny thing. Cause people always ask like, Oh, why'd you come up with the name October Schwartz? And I always tell people, I'm like, oh, I tried to think of the most goth name I could. <laughs> so it's like, there are a lot of kids named like April and June and mm-hmm. even August. Like those are common names yeah. after month. And I was like, nobody's named after any of the Burr months, right? Nobody's <laughs> named November. Or, yeah, yeah. So it's like October is the most goth month because Halloween happens in it. And then Schwartz is German for black. So I'm like, her name's like October Black, which is like a pretty That's goth name, goth right? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> And it would be a memorable name, right? Like, especially when you want your lead character, you want them. Mm-hmm. I was always thinking exactly like Veronica Mars, Encyclopedia Browns, like yeah. stuff where it's just like, oh, there's no other October Schwartz, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then when people Google it or look it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Like, when you go to Encyclopedia Brown to Google, that's all you get. Yeah, exactly. There are no other Encyclopedia Browns. That's cool. And so this is the third one now, Loyalist to a Fault. Yeah. And then so it's been well well received and like people are like now kind of getting it and digging it and yeah it's exciting like the first two, I've been really lucky because the first two are for the Silver Birch Award which is like this great award in Ontario where um, basically it's a library nominates books for certain age levels and just getting it's like uh, you know how people in the Oscars always say like it's an honor just to be nominated yeah but it actually is for this one because like. <laughs> By just getting nominated, basically every library and every school in Ontario like orders like a few copies of the book because the kids are really encouraged to read the award nominees. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I guess it's nice to say you won, yeah. but it's like it doesn't matter. Like they've already already like thousands of kids are reading this book because it's on this short list. So the first two are up for that, which has really helped I think build like a readership for it. And yeah, as you say, like now that there's a third one, there are people. They're actually kids who like read the series it's really weird because i work in a bookstore i work at book city and for the f- i think it's the first time it happened the other weekend where like the kid our parents always come in looking for recommendations they're like oh my kids 12 they really like reading can you recommend anything and this is the first time where i was like oh what other books have they read that they liked and the parent was like oh she really likes this dead kid detective agency series and i was like what really yeah like i couldn't believe <laughs> yeah i was like mm, really that's weird like uh, sure it wasn't an employee putting you on yeah yeah i know like exactly like even if they read it and like it i can't believe that was like the first one book series that came to mind when like oh do you have anything else like that so yeah it's nice to see that like there are kids who are reading it and who enjoy it yeah it is cool the feedback you're getting from children too do they send you any letters or anything like that or? yeah it's pretty yeah i get some letters sometimes especially like around silver birch time when they like lead up to the awards usually get some from schools that come like you know a bunch of kids sending you a letter from school so they usually have like really good questions and i reply back to them there's like, like a the one kid sent me like an interview recently and i was like why did you make october goth and like stuff like they just ask questions that like adults don't ask you yeah. um, that you didn't even really think of. You're like, oh, how's that? But they're really good questions. So there's a lot of that. I also remember there's some like really good responses. 
I think for the first book, when it got nominated, uh, school asked kids to like write or do video reviews of the books. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, but the one kid that and they like put them up on like YouTube and stuff later. And the one I saw was like this girl who hated the book, and she was like, <laughs> "This book is so boring." And she like went on this like minute long rant about how boring the book was, mm-hmm. and I was like. That was uh, good. It was good feedback. It's good to know. And I mean, to be fair, like, I take that the first book is kind of boring, at least the lead in. Like, the first, it takes a while to get to any action. Yeah. And a lot of kids said that. They're like, oh, it's really boring. Like, once I got past the first 50 pages, it was good. But, mm-hmm. like, I was, like, really bored to start off. And I kind of, I kept that in mind. I was like, well, I can't wait so long to get into, like, the actual narrative of the story. I can't have too much preamble. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as much as it's, like, kind of funny to, like, get such hate from like kids uh and it's great because kids are like uh i did publicity for adult books forever right and like adults are never like tell you what they really feel like even if they hate the book if you see them at a party like they'll talk to authors and like oh it was interesting like they'll come up with all these kind of like euphemisms for things that they don't like it whereas kids will just be like yeah the book was really boring like they'll just they have no compunction about telling you they hate a book but I kind of find that even if you're the author yeah no it's great you're like I get actual feedback I don't just get people being polite and like yeah saying it's like when you get like an adult telling you it's interesting that's that vague code word already where yeah and I'm like how does that help me like I don't yeah I don't yeah know anything what to do with that where someone's like, it was really boring. The first 50 pages, like, I almost fell asleep. I'm like, oh, okay, I need to <laughs> fix that next time I write a book. Yeah. Yeah. Can you read a... I know you made some notes here. Can you read a piece of... <laughs> yeah, sure. Do you want me to read yeah. this section? Well, any whatever section or whatever you normally read when you go to a... Okay, yeah, there's a few different ones. Like, I guess I'll read to give us a this little one. sample, give us a little preview of, like, what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just trying to see if there's another section. This one's pretty good. Oh, there's a good section later on. I'm going to read that about her. So this is a section in the book where um, the mystery kind of revolves around this boy. He's a loyalist, and he was like, his family are shipbuilders. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of decides um, there's like a book, a historical boat, that they decide they have to get on, and they find out that the boat is on fire Yes. Uh, while they're on it, and so they try to escape it. There's lots of good boat pirate action. There's stars. all sorts of nautical action, yeah. <laughs> nautical action, that's the phrase, that's okay. the literary term. Yeah. All right. So I'll just read a little bit from yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. As blistering flames swallowed more and more of the ship's deck, everybody scrambled as much as they could in such a confined area. The fire was seriously restricting their options. No one had a clue how the fire had started, but it seemed clear that the ship's arson was the work of a dastardly ghost pirate and not the security guards. The pirate must have beaten October and her friends to the Kingfisher, that's the name of the boat, stolen a necklace that Cyril had hidden there over 200 years ago and left that smug little note for October in the process and set the ship on fire as soon as October had set foot on its creaky boards. She'd walked right into a trap. Where's the lifeboat? October yelled to Cyril, since he had been somewhat involved in the shipbuilding. Probably on fire, too, groaned Kirby as he looked over the ship's sides. The dead kids, being corpses and intangible at will, leapt through various walls of fire to search around the ship for some sort of raft or rescue craft. Cyril, in the meantime, put his hands on October's shoulders to deliver some very unfortunate news, all the more troubling as it was delivered by a boy without a face. <laughs> so earlier in the last chapter, he ripped off his face <laughs> to scare the security guards outside the boat. It's a kid's book, so there's lots of face ripping. <laughs> Uh, October, there is no lifeboat. What do you mean? October started to panic. More. 
We never built ships with lifeboats, he explained. I'm not even certain what that word means, though I can sort of figure it out. Unluckily for October Schwartz and every sailor who lived before its invention, the first ever lifeboat used on a sailing vessel was built in 1784, a full five years after the Kingfisher. That's not something that comes up in most history books. October's eyes bulge. No lifeboat? What are we going to do? I'm sure we'll come up with a solution, Cyril said, doffing his tricorn hat and fanning the flames' general direction. Are we just going to die? Or am I? No, um, well... He said, continuing to wave his hat. What are you doing? That's a ghost hat. That's not going to put out any fires. October probably would have continued to rant about how ridiculous Cyril was in his attempts to put out a burgeoning nautical inferno with one measly ghost hat, but the smoke caused her to hack and cough uncontrollably. Smoke inhalation is often the primary cause of death and fires, after all. The other dead kids, unable to find a lifeboat, returned to their living friend at the helm. Are you okay? October asked, slapping October's bent-over form on the back. There's no lifeboat, Mourner reported. I know, October croaked and glared at Cyril as if it had been his decision to build build, sorry, build ships without lifeboats until the later 1700s. What are you going to do, Mourner asked. You should swim for it, Tabitha said. It's February, October said. And so I guess I'll end there. But yeah. so Nice, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can see there's a lot about fires and boats yeah it's about fire safety as well yeah you yeah learn a lot about fire safety, yes. <laughs> i didn't know that part about the lifeboats either so. yeah i know i was just looking up because i was like when i was writing i was like oh so how will they get out basically when i write the book it's like a series of like okay they get in this situation how are they going to get out and i was like well maybe there's a lifeboat and then i looked it up and i was like oh they didn't build lifeboats until later yeah. i was like i guess they would have just drowned on boats before then no yeah. life yeah it seems like a natural thing to build yeah. Some sort of escape boat, but maybe not. I guess so, but maybe that's why it's so revolutionary. The first guy was like, you know what we should do? Yeah. Because I've noticed a lot of us die <laughs> on, on these ships. Yeah. Maybe we should have smaller ships right. so we can just, like, take off you. And I was like, that guy's smart. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's like the first person to put wheels on a suitcase, right? Yeah. You know what we should do? <laughs> these are really heavy to carry around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Thank you for ta- taking time to read that. I oh, yeah. That, man. Right. And so, when you are at a book event, you have also go to a lot of book events and yeah, launches for sure. and all those kind of things. And What makes a good book event successful? Um, I think it's a few things. Like, I feel like mm, you... I think a lot of authors don't put as much attention in what they're reading as maybe they should. Like, you want to read a section, and maybe that section wasn't a great example, but usually I read for longer, but... You want to read a section that's like really entertaining for the audience that makes them want to know more and makes them like feel something like it doesn't have to be like funny, although that usually helps. But you want it to be like in some way kind of like emotionally gripping, whether it's funny or like really sad or really kind of like tense. Um, That really helps. You always want to read for shorter than the time you're given. Like usually they're like, all right, you have 15 minutes to read. Like Mm -hmm. don't whatever you think 15 minutes is, if you read what you think 15 minutes is, it's going to be like 20 or 25. So yeah. like go under because no one's ever complained by like, like that reading was too short. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and usually the thing I've been noticing a lot and it's kind of inspired me is like stuff at readings that are not reading. So like maybe have a little bit of reading, but then have other stuff that's like fun for, and like the audience can participate in. Like recently I was hosting someone's book launch. They did a book launch about, a book about Nicolas Cage. And so in addition to doing, <laughs> nice. like, a talk about Nicolas Cage, they also had a bunch of, like, Nick Cage-based games. So it was, mm-hmm. like, you had to, like, guess the amount of bees in, like, the basket 
or like they had like a shooting gallery of like enemies from Nick Cage movies that they had like a rubber band gun that you had to shoot them. Yeah. So they had like all these kind of games or I went to another book launch where they had like a trivia contest as part of it. So I feel like incorporating other activities in with the readings uh, can really help like make it a more fun event. That makes sense. Especially because yeah. like a lot of times people go to book events and maybe they don't know anyone. Maybe they just really like the author. So it can be really awkward if it's just like all there is is like a reading and then just sort of general mingling. Um, so it's good if there are like activities people can participate in because it gets them sort of it gives them something to do instead of just sort of like sitting and like trying to make awkward conversation with strangers. Yeah. Right. If you have something to talk about, like, oh, I'm going to shoot. I love Face Off. I'm going to shoot John Travolta from Face Off in the yes. shooting gallery. That you can just start talking with people automatically and yeah. not have to. It's not as awkward, I guess. No, that makes sense. Because I, I went to, not long ago, I went to um, a Leaf game, a hockey game uh-huh. last season. And it was boring because all it was was just a game. And then you just watch it and then you leave. Yeah. When I go to basketball, when I go to NBA, they're throwing t-shirts at the audience. Oh, yeah, the they have, like, all that. out and, like, yeah. they keep giving you, like, little things to look at, right? Then the girls come out dancing and, like, then the game's happening. Yeah. And it was just, like, this constant. They're, like, it's halftime. We got, like, a DJ come out yeah. and stuff. I yeah. saw Young MC, actually, last year. Yeah, yeah. he was there. <laughs> yeah, my brother is, like, a big uh, Raptors fan, and I go with him sometimes. But that's the thing about basketball games. They, like, know. It's, like... MB, the NBA is like the Disneyland of like yeah. amusement. They know like if you go to Disneyland, you're like, you, we know you're going to be in line for a half hour. Here's some like entertaining things mm-hmm. while you're on the line. And the NBA is like that. They're like, oh, here's all this stuff that yeah. happens. Spectacle, just, spectacle, exactly, spectacle. yeah. Yeah, and that's why I was like bored at the hockey game. I'm like, that's all I get. Yeah, just where's the hockey... t-shirt cannon? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like the mascot should come out. He one of those like yeah. black security guards and gives them the angry face. And yeah, and then they have like that. a dance off or something. Yeah, like so all of that. They could have like, like ice capades dancers come out during see? breaks. Yeah, <laughs> you can actually like call up the yeah. NHL and yeah. like, work this all out. I the think... problem with the NHL is they're like sell out before the season starts. They don't even need to do anything. Yeah, right? I know the checks. There's clear. no yeah. There's no effort. <laughs> so maddening and so I want to you mentioned um, being uh, the publicist for Coach it was Coach House Book yeah, so can, yeah. and so Coach House Book obviously is primar- is it primarily uh, poetry or did they ever have a couple of novels no they out? do poetry and, and novels they actually have been doing really well I joke that like after I left Coach House they've really like taken off because right now they have a book that's on the Giller shortlist mm-hmm. a novel that's also up for the, a few other awards so like yeah they do novels and, and poetry and they started doing some nonfiction, but it's mainly uh, fiction and poetry and poetry obviously as a genre is very hard to kind of sell and to kind of connect there isn't a lot of appetite a lot of demand yeah, yeah. for that and so what did you take away from that experience that you're applying now as a writer, now that you've flipped it to the other side? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was, like, finding ways to make it accessible to people because poetry, I think, especially has a reputation of being, like, something that's, like, I don't understand it and I yeah, don't. esoteric. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's, uh, in some cases, a fair description of it, right? Like, it is kind of like a closed world and stuff like that. But I feel like a lot of my job in doing publicity for it was, like, I was pitching to newspapers and to radio and stuff like that. And part of the effort was, like, finding a way of making it relevant to their readers or to their viewers. And a lot of times that was finding out, like, you know, how is this going to interest someone who's maybe not read a poetry book since high school, right? Or since university. Um, So I always kind of think of that, like, trying to think of, like, it was really helpful in, in ways of, like, making things that maybe aren't necessarily obviously um, 
entertaining or obviously sort of like accessible to people and finding there's always a way in it just sort of takes some work into like taking a look through it and figuring out ways of like reaching out to people through that and so like working with poetry and a lot of times especially like at Coach House sometimes is fairly experimental poetry, which is like makes it even kind of less appealing to the average reader, right? Yeah. Oh, poetry. Oh, and it's like it's it's kind of hard to understand. This is, um, but like going through it and figuring out ways of like making this palatable and and actually of interest to people, be like, oh, that's a really cool idea, and then maybe they do pick it up, or maybe they do go out to the reading or whatever. And as somebody like yourself who's plugged into the Canadian literary scene, mm-hmm. or even the Toronto literary scene, I guess if you want, um, we're we're doing well overall, aren't we? Yeah, like I feel like Toronto is funny. I was at the Toronto Book Awards last week, and I'm actually on, or this year I was on the jury for the Toronto Book Awards, and there was classy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there was a uh, one of the nominees. Uh, what's his name? Bruce McDougall, I think is his name, he wrote The Last Hockey Game. So it was one of the books nominated about the last sort of the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And it's a description of that game alone. But he was saying, he was remarking like it was the Toronto Book Awards. There are probably like 200 people at the library for this awards. And he was like, this is great. Like I love Toronto because it's a city where like people read and people like go out to book things. And it is like kind of like it's one of the few cities in North America where it's like, oh, there still are a number of indie bookstores and there still are like you can go out any night of the week to a book event and they're like people at it. Right. Like there are crowds that go out like right now it's the Festival of Authors happening, but there are other events happening while this massive book event is happening. And like there'll be good attendance at both Mm -hmm. the IFA and all these other kind of like non associated events. So, I mean, partially it has to do with, like, being the biggest city and the and where all the publishing is in Canada. But it is, like, there's, like, a really healthy book culture in Toronto. And there's some cities like that. Like, like I feel like the ones in the States, like, places like Minneapolis, which is not, like, a major city, but has, like, a really big kind of literary scene. And I think Toronto is one of those for sure. The winter always helps. Same thing with Minneapolis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got a lot of time to, like, stay inside. And what are you going to do? You read? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the TTC delays as well, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I used to watch work when I was at Coachella, so now I read so much because I have to take the TTC to work. It's like I got half hour and or usually longer because there always are delays <laughs> yeah. or something yeah and speaking of the ifa uh ifoa you mm-hmm. got a an event tonight right that's true so yeah. explain the event because this is really neat you have a whole bunch of graphic artists or graphic comic book guys yeah it's amazing like so every i've been hosting events for the ifa for the past year or two and it's great like it's a really fun gig you go and you kind of introduce the authors and things like that but this year they were they they usually like send you a few different options and one of them was this one so it was a round table with um adrian tomini uh jillian tamaki and dylan horrocks who are three like great comic yeah. artists and, and writers cartoonists i guess um and they're like do you want to host this round table i was like are you sure like did I, this email come to the right person? Like, yeah. I'm nobody. Like, these are like amazing. Like, some of the best comic I've read makers, Adrian's right? Shortcomings. Yeah, he's really solid. Yeah, he's great. Like, and Jillian Tamaki is amazing. Dylan Horrocks is kind of lesser, not as well known. He's from New Zealand, but his work is awesome too. And it was just like, oh, sure. Like, I would love to do this. Like, yeah, I would pay to do this. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's this event. It's the three of them going to be talking comics. Hopefully, I ask them like relatively intelligent questions <laughs> i hope yeah yeah nobody gets offended by the questions I asked and um it's free too which is the amazing part i was like oh this is like 
people would pay to see these yeah, people like and pay like good money to see these like even if you just said like adrian tomania alone mm-hmm. people would pay money to see him talk so this is like a free event on a saturday night i'm like this will probably be packed i have no idea um so i'm looking i'm both like really excited about it but also kind of nervous i'm like oh how do i ask questions that they haven't been asked like you know a hundred times yeah, already yeah. and things like that i um uh, back in may i interviewed scott mcleod oh awesome for the sculptor yeah, yeah. And um, he was talking about how he, when he was in Texas, the guy clearly hadn't read the sculptor. Oh. And so he just thought it, he interpreted it as a cartoon. And so he's like, so how did you find all the guys who do the voices? <laughs> and he was just asking questions like that. Yeah, yeah. And he's you like, I mean? yeah. Well, at least I read their books. So I'm like <laughs> yeah. a step ahead of that guy yeah. in Texas. And you're not going to ask about like the voices. Yeah, the, exactly. How do you how do you animate the... Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do you redraw so many yeah. so quick? Um, it's funny because the, the Dylan Horrocks book, which is called uh, Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen, is a lot like the sculptor, like in kind of tone, like in theme and stuff. It's mm-hmm. also about like a, a artist and like kind of talking about art and sort of like the responsibility of art. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. They're very similar. Those two books came out around the same time. Are you reading a lot of comics these days other than for this? Yeah, I do. Like, not as much as I used to. I feel like I buy more comics than I read. And I'm always like, oh, I'll, I'll read these soon. As yeah. soon as I have, like, as soon as I'm done all this other work. So, but yeah, I do still read a lot of comics. Um, and a lot of stuff I like, yeah. Like cape stuff or, like, kind of like... We Both. were Adrian with, like, shortcomings. Yeah. Right? Like, I find those are nice because I like the Spider-Man, Batman, and whatever. And those have a good place and they're good stories. Yeah. But then I also find like reading something like Shortcomings is kind of nice and it's just like a not or the sculpture is a great one too, right? Where yeah. It's a nice solid. Well, it's novel. also yeah, and those are nice too because you don't have to keep up, right? Like you can just read it and you're like, then I've read it. Whereas a lot of the, like the superhero stuff, which I still love a lot of, but sometimes it can be hard to keep up. You're like, oh, I'm behind, or like yeah. I have to read this comic too to understand what's happening in mm-hmm. this one, and you kind of get lost with it. So it can be hard to keep up, and you kind of feel like you're falling behind at all times. But yeah, I like both. Like one of my favorite comics right now and has been for the past few years is daredevil which i never really liked growing up i the never kind of mark wade yeah the mark wade yeah. and like chris samney who i think is like one of the best illustrators working today i like love them working together on on that daredevil um so i really liked i really like that um there are a few other ones like um bitch planet is awesome i haven't read bitch, bitch planet is great it's like imagine like orange is the new black but like in space <laughs> so it's like a space prison space women's prison and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's awesome and uh saga i love saga i still so much fun yeah it's actually like you can tell uh, brian brian k vaughn is having fun yeah yeah like he's he's not there's no pressure on him almost yeah exactly and it's kind of like anything can happen in it right like it's a really cool kind of space adventure i love saga um but yeah there's a lot of other good stuff like kind of like self-contained stuff like the adrian tomany book is like really great and yeah scott mcleod's a sculptor um, the other one that I liked really recently was uh, Jess Fink, who did a comic called uh, We Can Fix It, or I Can Fix No, I think it's called We Can Fix It. And basically, it's like it's very like influenced by Back to the Future. It's like her going back in time to her own life and like kind of like figuring out where she went wrong and figuring out things but also does stuff in like time travel movies that you would never see so like she like makes out with herself and you're like <laughs> yeah you probably try that if there are two of you right yeah you would be curious so yeah, like it's so, yeah. yeah so it's like it's stuff like that still better than killing <laughs> baby hitler right yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm go back and yeah exactly so yeah there's uh, some really fun stuff out there i was sort of like oh what's it called the um the book that uh um 
Steve or Chip Zdarsky and uh, Kate Jack- McCut. Oh, the- Sex Criminals. Sex Criminals is great, but there's another one. Uh, it's called Captera. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah, one yeah, that's yeah. sort of like space, like weird fantasy one. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It's like him and um, yeah, I'm Kagan McLeod, I think. Maybe. I think Kagan McLeod does the it's illustration. It's hard to keep up with Chip these days. He's he's so busy. Yeah. He's been cranking. He did some stuff with Jughead now. Too, yeah. And like Howard, he was doing Howard the Duck too. Yeah, exactly. So he was doing he's blowing like, up. Yeah. <laughs> that kid is going places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then switching gears, we'll keep it with pop culture, but switching gears, though, I did want to ask you about your dance movie. Oh, uh, Obsession? <laughs> I was, we're going to go with the word Obsession? Sure, the... go for it, yeah. I don't know what it was. like. Honestly, I think it only started a few years ago mm-hmm. when a friend of mine was like, oh, we're going to see Step Up Revolution, which is the fourth Step Up movie. <laughs> and they're like, do you want to come? And like, I had literally not seen any of the Step Ups. So mm-hmm. I was like, sure. Yeah. I feel behind. But I went and I was like, this is amazing and I like went back and watched all of the step ups and now it's like basically any dance movie that comes out I will see it uh, the film festival was here um, I guess yeah, a month ago yeah. and I what was like can I find a dance movie and there was one <laughs> I mean there were a couple but there was one from New Zealand called Born to Dance and it's basically like save the last dance but replace like kind of like urban black youth mm-hmm. with uh, like urban Maori youth in New Zealand and it was like very <laughs> similar but it was like great as this like New Zealand dance movie and it was awesome mm-hmm. um, but I just kind of like have gotten really obsessed with them I feel like they're really interesting and I feel like I also really love like kung fu movies and like martial arts movies and I feel like dance movies are almost like they're like martial arts movies where like nobody gets beat up right oh, like I find a- them very similar they're almost like pacifist kung fu movies because it's very similar you're just like most of the reason you're there is to watch people do these like amazing feats of like acrobatics and like strength yeah. of their bodies and the only difference is like one they're trying to defeat the enemy through like actually subduing them and you know, they're trying to defeat like some other dance crew with like better moves, yeah, right? Yeah, and that makes sense. That's the Michael Jackson beat it video. Right? Yeah. Like I feel like they're very like they're very similar. They're even similar in like kind of their progression, right? Like there's like training montages. Yes. There's always like kind of some kind of like either, either like person who's using kung fu for evil or using dance mm-hmm. for like negative ends or like they're trying to defeat like an evil corporation that wants to like you know, destroy their neighborhood and yeah, set up yeah. a hotel. There's always things like that. So, like, uh, don't forget the setback where everything starts to look bleak. Yeah, exactly. Or like the crew like starts to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Then it's like I, I just like have gotten very interested in them as as kind of a genre because I also feel like part of the interesting thing about film that makes it different from other mediums is that it is like a a, a medium that involves motion and like i don't understand when people are like get down on like action movies or dance movies or like kung fu movies because i'm like these are movies that are actually like making full use of what film is like stuff should be moving right yeah they're motion pictures like you want to see stuff moving you want to see stuff blowing up you want to see stuff doing stuff that Mm -hmm. you don't see on the street right yeah um and like hopefully you hopefully there's like a good story and stuff attached to it but i feel like Movies where it's just kind of like talking head, like that could be a play on stage or like, well, like I guess it's with Andre or something. Yeah, exactly. Which is a fine movie, but it's like this is not making full use of the medium, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like, I feel like dance movies are like a movie genre that takes total use of like uh, the medium, and I kind of just like really excited. I mean, they're just really fun too. I remember. So I saw the most recent Step Up movie, in Mississauga, and it was like literally the only movie. There's like a kind of move that they've been trying to get right and they get it right at the very end like during the final competition they land this like amazing move 
and the Spoiler woman, alert. the woman, in, yeah, sorry, yeah, they do it. But this woman in front of me in the audience just like, like, did like, she like fired like her imaginary gun in the air at that point in the theater. She was like, bruh, bruh, during like once they nail it. And I was like, literally no one has done that at any other movie I've seen. Yeah. Clearly, like, this is the best movie. Like, it inspired her to like, yeah, just like shout that out. No, connected right here. Right, right yeah. I was like, mm, yeah, there's something to it that, that she's like really got people excited. That's cool. And so Step Up, I guess, is your go-to series? or like Yeah, like, I feel like Step Up is, like, the current... It's, like, uh, I feel like it's almost like the Fast and Furious movies where it's, like, somehow against all obstacles, they get, like, better as they go along. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I guess it's arguable with, with Fast and Furious, but I think it's inarguable that, like, the past few ones have been a lot better than the early ones. For Fast and Furious? Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. feel like it probably peaked at, like, maybe five and, like, has been, like, fairly high since then. But, like, yeah, the Step Ups are, like... The less connected, the first one was like kind of like a whitewashed uh, "Say the Last Dance" or like if you like "Say the Last Dance," but we're like troubled by like the interracial romance. Yeah, yeah. We've got <laughs> "Step Up for You," yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like as they like got further and further away from that story and got like just more about the like pure dance, they get better and better. Um, so yeah, I feel like those ones are a good one. Fast and Furious, I think, just started off as just a generic kind of like the guy, the white cops going undercover with yeah. the street thugs. Well, the and... first one's like what you call like Point Break, but with cars instead of Basically, surfing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it was just kind of like just a throwaway movie almost. You know? What yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, you know, some cars in there, some pretty girls in shorts. Yeah. And it's all set in L.A. and then that's kind of it. And I don't think they it, they certainly couldn't have envisioned. Yeah, like what it would become. Yeah. Yeah, because like I don't I don't know how to drive. I have like no interest in cars, so I'm not going to watch like. Oh, that's awesome cars going fast. It's just like, oh, this is like a bonkers. Like, I feel like they've like almost surpassed like superhero movies and being like more like superhero movies than like the Avengers, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they were one of the first ones really to come up with a proper shared universe. Yeah, exactly. They've been building it since the third one. Right. So, and I, again, with your comic background and my comic background, comic book background, yeah. it was like we got this right away because all these characters come in and out of the movies. Yeah. And, like, and they, the weird thing, somebody like a friend of mine, who totally got me into the Fast and Furious movies by explaining the shared universe. I'm like, oh, okay, I have to watch all these now. Yeah. But he also explained that, like, it's a universe that, like, is coexists with other movies. Like, um, Han mm-hmm. is, like, from a, a different movie entirely. Yeah. He's from, like, yeah, one of the director's other movies, and yeah. they just imported him into the Fast and Furious universe. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> And it's, I guess, because we were talking about lifeboats on the on the, on the the uh, pirate ship, right? Yeah. And I think it's the same thing where, like, I think they realized they could just go for broke on this. Yeah. And if it works, it works. And it's obviously been working, but it's like, <laughs> that was a good gamble. Let's yeah. try this and we'll see where it goes. I'm like, oh, okay. That's a billion-dollar franchise. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I guess it worked out <laughs> for them. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> are you enjoying this recent kind of uh, superhero movie explosion, or are you tired yet? Uh, I'm kind of a little tired. I remember, like, when I was, like, kid or when i was younger like they were so rare i would see like literally any comic book movie yeah. i was like i don't even if i didn't like them i was like oh it's but it's a comic book movie so obviously i'm gonna see it yeah, right yeah. it's like oh i don't i'm trying to think of examples of like, like christopher reeve stuff towards the end the third one the fourth yeah one, but even like i'd be like meteor man that's sort of about superheroes <laughs> i'll go see that yeah, yeah. Um, um but now it's just like i kind of really pick and choose because i'm like uh like i haven't seen ant-man and stuff yeah. Because mm, I think my main complaint is, like, people, they really spend a lot of time with the origin story. Yeah. And I feel like it's, like, so boring to most people, myself included. I'm like, 
like because they keep rebooting stuff too right and it's like how many times do i have to see how spider-man became spider like it's never going to be plausible right like yeah. it's never going to be like oh that that's probably how you get <laughs> spider powers yeah, yeah. i'm glad they spent an hour of a movie explaining yeah. <laughs> that uh it's like nobody cares they everyone knows this story by this point or yeah. everyone like especially superman's like everyone knows he came from a doom planet like yeah. the most recent superman movie they spent like an hour explaining why yeah, Krypton, the Zack Snyder one. yeah. yeah I know. and like who cares like no everybody knows that it's yeah. just not interesting interesting um so i feel like there's too much obsession with like explaining how superheroes exist Mm -hmm. and i'd really like to see like i usually like like the second and third superhero movies because they're like the universe we've already explained everything now we can just tell a story in this universe like i feel like spider-man 2 the sam raimi one is like one of the best superhero movies because it was just like you already know why spider-man here's just a story about spider-man and dr octopus well and i think too i think your point is valid because it's like the audience if you're going to see a movie like Batman, they can't be surprised. Like, why is a billionaire putting on a rubber bat suit yeah, to fight yeah. crime? That makes no sense. Like people like audibly gasping when his parents get shot. Yeah. Like, what? I had no idea. <laughs> so it's like you kind of know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. It's not like you're going to see a Woody Allen film and there's some weird twist or yeah. something like that. So you, if it's already built into the audience and like it's Batman or it's Aquaman or it's Spider-Man or whatever it is, it's yeah. like... Just go People with are it. going because they like have some faith in like I'm gonna just take a leap and like assume these things exist. Like I love, there weren't a lot of like uh, examples in like Hollywood, I guess for all. But I used to love like like movies like Battle Royale that like oh, gone yeah, so yeah. Japanese movie because they like basically they're like don't explain anything. There's like a title at the beginning. They're like in the future they take one yeah. class and like make them kill each other on yeah. an island. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's what happens. Like, yeah. they don't really explain, like, the reasoning. It's just, like, that's, get used to it. But it's it. A, such a cool movie. Yeah, like. but you're just like, all right, I guess that's what happens. And, like, the th- only thing I feel like that does that now is, like, the Mad Max Fury Road was kind of like, yeah. they didn't explain anything. They're just like, this is the world now. <laughs> get used to it. Yeah. Because uh, we're, we're going to just, like, keep going without you. And I really like that kind of filmmaking instead where they don't like have to explain everything or like give a reason as to why things are this way. Yeah, I found Avengers too. I don't know if you saw that one, but there was a lot of talking and exposition. And yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They'd be like running and they'd have to stop and basically look at the camera. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what this means and why we're doing this. And yeah. I'm like, I, I, like, I just even be having a background, but like most of the audience already kind of knows. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing with Star Trek. Like you don't always understand what the uh, the crystals do or something like this. Yeah. But you know that that's bad. Exactly. <laughs> so. And you're like, and really, there's no way you're going to explain it that is, like, scientifically accurate. So, like, stop. Yeah. yeah. I understand that's bad. <laughs> and you're trapped in space. Oh, no! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? People are not looking to this for, like, future science <laughs> no. projects. Yeah, they're just... Uh, no, I just want a good story. Interesting story, like, yeah. How are you going to get out of... Or, like, the pirate passage you read in the book right it's like yeah there's a pirate ship and it's on fire right like how, how do we get, get out of this yeah. yeah and that's all you need to know mm-hmm. so you're gonna continue writing this one just came out the well, third one loyalist to a fault. fault yeah and so this third one just came out and so you're hoping i guess can come out once a year or so yeah or ideally that's, the... that's kind of the goal because the problem is especially with kids book if you take too long between them your readership kind of ages out of your books right yeah. like they'll get so old they're like i don't care about mm-hmm. i mean adult books now right um, but yeah, like that's a plan. Martin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's the idea. I'm really looking forward to like my dream is to have like one of those box sets you used to see, you know, where they oh. come in like a pre-made box that yeah, have the whole yeah. series. I would love that one day to have one of those in a bookstore. 
That's cool. Are you going to start licensing some of the stuff too into like t-shirts or toys or uh, I don't know. I mean the first one has been optioned for film and TV. So like someone Way to bought go. The- Give me Oh, a nice. Bump. Yeah. So like a lot of stuff gets optioned and nothing ever happens to it, but someone is trying to develop it into a TV series. Um, so we'll see if that like a live action one. So we'll see if anything happens with that. Um, but that's kind of the first thing. You gotta find a way because now that it's going to TV, you gotta find a way to put a dance sequence. Yeah, they should. I yeah, there's almost no dance. There are no dance battles whatsoever in this book, are there? Still got four more books yeah. to go. Although I guess the dance obsession was early because I remember that quarter life crisis book. There's a whole battle on dance, dance the revolution. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was always interested in dance battles. All right, we'll have to see <laughs> where this goes. Yeah. All right, I think we covered everything. Like we covered like the dead kid detective. Yeah, uh, we covered dance. We covered Fast and Furious. Right. I think we. Did what else good. is there? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I think we solved the, the major issues of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, All the issues facing us today. Thank you, Evan, for coming in and just hanging out with my summer lair. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.